Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Today, I'm joined by the rather lovely Samantha Johnson, an international sports anchor who has featured in UEFA's Outraged and is the voice of Eurosport's Trailblazers. Samantha, through her interviews and discussions, spreads awareness of the number of issues affecting worldwide sport currently. I've been looking forward, I have to say, to this uh, podcast probably more than any other because of my interest in sport, my love of Istanbul and Turkey, which we're going to find out a little bit about in due course. But this lady has a reputation which precedes her. Unfortunately, for those listeners out there, all 117,000 of you, no pressure, Samantha. uh, (laughs) She is dressed the nines with studio lighting, uh, looking absolutely a million dollars. So she definitely wins the prize for the best dressed, uh, most well-made-up podcast guest in the two and a half years that we've been running the show. Samantha Johnson, (laughs) welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you for having me, Sandro. I have to admit, the only reason why I'm dressed up is because I've been broadcasting from home. So I don't do this all the time. Normally, I'm in sweats, my hair's up, and I don't have studio lights. I have normal lighting. But you caught Uh, me on a good day. (laughs) Well, I don't believe a word of what you've just said. But suffice (laughs) to say, thank you very much for finding time for us in what I know is a very, very busy schedule. And uh, as I say, loads and loads and loads of people have told me so many great things about you. and. We don't so much research our guests as stalk them. So we know loads about you already, but I want to cope. I want to coax it all out of you so that we can share all this good stuff with with lots of listeners from, I think, 48 countries now. So uh, let's start with the obvious place. Uh, Background. Uh, What what takes you to Turkey? A beautiful city, Istanbul. Um, But but just a little bit about your background, because people see sports anchor and, you know, all all the glitter and the glamour and they see if they go searching for you, what you do now, but kind of how did you get to the place you are today? Okay, how long do you have, basically? Um, long as you I'm like, a- long as you like. Okay, um, I'm originally uh, from Birmingham. I moved to London at the age of 18, and that was because I kind of knew that my future wasn't going to be in the Midlands when it came to media and pursuing my dreams and my career. So I studied at university. I worked a ton of jobs as well, um, like in retail. I think my, my first job in London was working for Burberry and women's wear on Bond Street. So that was just, that was a great time because I got like 50% off loads of clothes and stuff. And that was great. And my family loved me as well because every Christmas they would have something from Burberry. But um, yeah, so I moved to London at a young age. Sorry, I have to. My cat, I, that's another thing. I've moved to Istanbul, which is a city of cats. I now have a cat and he's just ravaging my my area. So if I sound a bit distracted, it's because of him. This, is, yes, what, this is what makes the podcast great. It's, they're it's kind of, they're just kind of live and we just go with the flow. It's just, it's he's, oh, he's anyway, you know, it's like having a child almost, but <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, he's fine. So yes, I moved to London um, at the age of 18 to pursue my career in um, broadcasting and media. 
And at the age of, let's say, 23, that's when I started my sports broadcasting journey. So I started at Sky Sports News. And then ever since then, you know, when I started there, I was a researcher. Then I was a production junior, worked my way up. I did presenting online. After Sky, I I suppose I did the rounds. I worked for Chelsea. I worked for BN Sports. And then this opportunity came um, with TRT World, which is based in Istanbul. Now, TRT um, is the state channel of Turkey, kind of like BBC and the UK. But they've got uh, an international arm. They needed English speakers. They need more correspondents and presenters. And I just thought, okay, just I've never been to Turkey I've never been to Istanbul. The only thing I knew about Istanbul was the fact that Liverpool won the Champions League there. And I knew about the intercontinental derby between Fenerbahce and Galatasaray. Like, that's it. So, yeah, I took a risk and it paid off. I, I've been out here for over five years. I'm a sports anchor, journalist. I travel. Well, I traveled before COVID. I traveled a lot with my job. I've managed to do some amazing stories and interviews that normally gets picked up by international press. And it's just been like the whole move has just been a breath of fresh air for me because I've had, I have this sense of freedom when it comes to doing my stories or pitching ideas. And it's nice to be heard as well when it comes to like dealing with my bosses and um, other people that I work with. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a very, very positive experience because not only am I doing well at work, I've actually got a life balance as well. So when the summer comes and hopefully the restrictions ease up a lot more, I'll be hitting the coast. <laughs> I'll be going to Bodrum or Antalya or Fethiye, like anywhere. I just, I, I love it. I absolutely love the work lifestyle balance out here in Turkey. Bodrum is a hot place in the summer, isn't it? Oh, Man. yes, yes. And uh, it, and that's the thing about Turkey. It's, okay, in the summer, you can go to the coast and it is just the hottest. It's the best for me. Like, I, I love the heat. Mm. And then when it comes to the winter, it's incredibly cold because it's snowing. Like, probably three weeks ago, we had a snowstorm. And if you follow me on Instagram, you would see that my garden was covered in snow. So it looked like a winter wonderland. So I love the... Uh, the extremes of, um, of this country when it comes to the weather and enjoy myself. The fact that um, you originate from Birmingham, uh, yeah. you know, Birmingham to Istanbul, no disrespect <laughs> to Birmingham. I lived there for three years. I love Birmingham. Watch what Birmingham. you say. Watch what you say. No, no, I, no, no. I, I was <laughs> at university in Birmingham and mm -hmm. lived there for three years, started my journeys every day from Spark Hill. If no one's ever <laughs> experienced Spark Hill, they really must at least once in their lives. Um, but normally, you know, the, the, the journalistic uh, journey normally takes years and years and years, but you, you go from, you know, retail, doing a ton of jobs to London. The next thing you, you know, you're a sports anchor in Turkey. You know what, I, apart from your obvious talent and for those guys out there, sorry to, uh, to, to raise this, but it's, but it's one that will be picked up. But you know, if you're a guy out there and you've, you've noticed already from the visuals from this podcast that, uh, that Samantha is a very good looking girl. Um, she also happens to probably know more about football than most men. So, you know what a what an amazing combination. So you must be uh, you must be quite a catch. The guys in Istanbul must be lined up at your door, Samantha. I would have thought. Uh, well, we are in a pandemic, so no. True, true, yeah, true. Um, no, it's only a matter um, of only a matter of time. How do you, so? How do you get how do you get to where you got to in such a short space of time? Well, that's the thing. I, 
I, the way I look at it is it's not really a short space of time. I've given you literally just a snippet. So if you allow me just to expand. Mm. So uh, before I started with Sky Sports, I worked for a music company, um, just handing out flyers. You know, I was on the street team, so I was doing a lot of promotion, handing out flyers, going to the concerts and just helping set up whoever was uh, performing um, for the record label. And from then, I actually made a lot of contacts. Now, bearing in mind, getting into the sports industry, it's really tricky. Or back in the day, now it's a bit easier because we have social media. But back in the day, if you didn't know anybody to get into the industry, it's just, it was just either the worst, it was just so hard. So mm. the music industry, I knew that sports and music would make a crossover at some point. Now, the magazine that I worked for was called Touch Magazine. It, were, it was a, I say, an urban music magazine. It's a black music magazine. And I worked with a lot of brands like Adidas, Nike, and obviously they have uh, sports people attached to their, their brands. And that's when you get the interviews done. So I was interviewing Jermaine Defoe years, years, years back. And the interview went really well. And his agent actually said, oh, you know what? That was a really great interview. Do you like sport? And I'm like, yeah, actually, I do want to get more into the uh, the sports industry. I just don't know how, and I just don't have the contacts. And it was actually him who gave me the details of the executive producer at Sky Sports News. So I've always been a big advocate of making contacts. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, you never know what's going to happen. And that's what happened for me. So it did take a while. Um, yeah. So I was at Sky from the age of 23 to about 26. 27-ish because I was a I was a, a staffer and then I went uh, part-time and when I was going part-time I was working at other companies uh, presenting as well so actually <laughs> it's it's actually taken a long time but bearing in mind I started when I was 23 I'm now 37 so it's actually been a very very long arduous journey and it's had a lot of ups a lot of downs sometimes I sit back and I think I can't believe I've actually gone through all of this and just sitting here and just having a I say a great life I don't want to be like oh yeah everything's rosy and everything's perfect it isn't but it's I've come a long way and I do forget to pat myself on the back sometimes you know sometimes mm. you're just really in the moment you forget that oh gosh actually this happened and actually this was a momentous thing like Sam you should really enjoy that like you know don't be humble about it like come on mm. just enjoy it a bit more but now I'm always thinking of the next thing the next focus the next goal it yeah, was kind of kind of the reason I asked you the question Samantha mm. because um there's a lot of people out there would have this preconception that you know somebody done well and mm. they don't understand or appreciate or give thought to the process that you have to go to go through and what you've just yeah. mentioned is important I guess to just reiterate and maybe expand on which is you mentioned there were there were ups and there were downs. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But but there were times when you probably thought, what am I doing this for? Can't can't see to the end of the day. And other times, of course, where it all went fantastically well and you gave yourself a pat on the back or you didn't, as the case may be. <laughs> yeah. But during those moments it, on that career path where it wasn't going so well, where you did doubt yourself, when things didn't go according to plan, how do you deal with those moments? Because lots of people who listen to this podcast email in and say, you know, I, I 
didn't really associate with that person because they're super wealthy or super successful. And it's always nice to understand that every person started in the same place, probably just dealt with some of the low points a little bit best, better than the rest of us. So how do you deal with those moments where you get your knockbacks? Because in journalism and in sports, mm. you get your fair share, right? So how do you deal with them? I will tell you a particular story that had a, uh, let's say it had a, I had my closure last year, let's just say. So it's been a long, a long time coming. So when I first started out in my career, knowing that I wanted to be a broadcaster, and it's a very tough, tough industry. There's a lot of uh, competition. Oh, wow. Okay. So I had a meeting with my former boss years, years ago. We're going like over 10 years, 10 years ago. And he said, I think you've improved massively. I think you're doing a great job. I don't think your knowledge is there just yet. Maybe you should leave, uh, get your experience elsewhere, and then come back, and then we can, you know, assess your development. And at that point, I thought, hold on a sec. I've, I've worked my butt off here. I've been doing early shifts for X amount of years, which means I would start at two o'clock in the morning and then finish at midday. After midday, I would stay behind and practice reading auto cue, practice my writing. I was just on it. I was doing extra shifts, things like that. Anything that I could do to improve myself. So I went to him, hold on a sec. You're, you're, you're saying that my knowledge isn't there completely, but you've got this person on screen who knows nothing about sports, but because she's posh and she's white and she's more acceptable, like you have her on, like, what's that all about? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. It's, she's different. She sparkles when she gets on air. And if, okay, if the view, if the views, if the, if the listeners don't know about me, I'm a young black female. I'm from a working class background. I had to work my butt off to get into this industry. I didn't have any solid contacts like a, far, like a rich father or a, a former sports person in the industry. Like I really had to hustle. Mm -hmm. So you've got this person who you kind of look up to saying that this, um, this other person is fine because you know she's white and she's posh and she can read an autocue, but you, uh, now you don't, you don't sparkle. You just, you, you have to work that bit harder. Now, growing up, I've always been taught by my mom. And I think every person of color would, <laughs> would have heard this. You have to work twice as hard to get half of what they have. And that was the moment where that, that was the moment for me. That was the realization like, wow, okay, this is, you know, this is how it is. So I remember going home, it was, luckily enough, it was a Friday. So I had the whole weekend to just kind of mull everything over. I remember buying two bottles of rosé and two tubs of Haagen-Dazs and I demolished all of it. I cried. <laughs> True story. I demolished it all. I cried. I doubted myself. I did all of that. I got it out of my system and then I just got myself back on the horse and just started to hand out my CV, get my showreel together, things like that. You just build yourself back up. You just think, okay, I'm not going to let that person win. No, 
sorry. I didn't come this far just to be battered down. It's not mm. going to happen. So ever since, you know, that moment, it was, um, yeah, it's, it's all about the comeback, isn't it? But the problem that I had after that was that little voice in the back of my head going into every screen test or every meeting. You know what? You're never going to sparkle. You're never going to be good enough because ultimately the people that I was having meetings with were just like my former boss who was middle, was a middle-aged white man that like mm. that, that was the carbon copy, like every executive or every producer that I met was like him. So I thought he's They're going to think the same of me. Like, I'm just not going to be good enough. I'm, and I would be given the opportunities, but somehow I would self-sabotage that because the way I was talking to myself, it wasn't healthy. You can't talk to yourself in the sense of you're dumb. You're not going to do this. You know what? You're going to fail on that. You know, this looks tricky. You, you know, you, you, you're going to mess up. So if you keep on saying that to yourself over and over and over again, it's going to happen. So at that point, I can't remember what year it was, but there was a moment where I was just stuck. I was mentally stuck. I was mentally drained and I just couldn't understand why I wasn't progressing. I went to a, a workshop called Mindspan that was led by someone called Gavin Drake. And he's a mindset performance specialist. And they changed my, my outlook, how I viewed myself, how I talked to myself. Just, I, I can't stress this enough. Your energy, is it energy goes where your attention goes or energy flows where your attention goes. So my energy was so low. I was working on low vibrations. Every meeting I was going into, it was just, oh, they're not going to hire me. And, oh, gosh, I'm going to mess this up. And then, yeah, that happened. And you know what? They can pick it up. They can sense that you're not really confident about what you're going into. And they, they can sense that you don't believe in yourself. And then as soon as I had that workshop, everything changed for me. So ever since that moment, and it's been a good, I want to say probably eight years, probably more. Yeah. It, that was the moment I uh, I changed a lot. It's all about it's all in, literally all in my head. Yeah, amazing. I, something that resonates with me just because of the work I've done with a number of people as well. So what I've heard so far is Samantha Johnson's uh, tips on how to recover from those low <laughs> moments. Go and buy two bottles of rosé, two tubs <laughs> of Hagen Dazs. That's what you demolish, think. Demolish, <laughs> demolish, that and get and get back on your horse. I love it. Yeah, um, that's it. One one very. Uh, to, to take a more serious note, uh, one thing that you said uh, regarding the, the kind of the obvious challenges that, you know, a young female woman of colour, particularly working in your industry, that 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 belief, that perception, I guess, that you have to work twice as hard to, to get the same distance as, as mm-hmm. perhaps a, um, a white female competitor. Let's let's put it that way. Does that not in itself create the opportunity for you? Almost. I guess my question is. Does that make it all kind of part of your success? Is it part of your DNA, that kind of cultural belief that you have to work that little bit harder and therefore you do? And the reason I ask that is because the number of podcast guests I've had, Samantha, who have had dyslexia, failed at school, suffered a bereavement of a, of a parent when they were very young, kind of like everything was stacked against them and yet they succeeded in spite of it. Is, you know, is the kind of the cultural 
issues and, you know, some of the prejudice that I'm sure you've discovered in the past, does that not give you that extra determination to succeed? Is that part of your, your journey? In other words, do you embrace those challenges um, and have they made you a better person as a result, maybe? I don't embrace discrimination. Oh, any, I wasn't suggesting that for a while. No, 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 I know, I know, I know what you meant, I but it's just, that. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't uh, thrive off the fact that I have, oh, how can I put this? It's a very good question. So my family have uh, a tremendous work ethic. So I get that from them, period. I've been raised by amazing, strong black women. My mom, she is just an absolute rock. She is, you know, I've been raised in a single parent family. So I've seen her work. She's a nurse. She works for the NHS. So I've seen her work all the hours God sends. I've had to spend a lot of time with my grandparents, my nan, who was a a huge person in the community. She was a childminder. So she looked after so many kids. So I saw her work as well. My granddad, who's probably the best male role model I've ever had in my life. I saw him work. He's just, he, he really dropped some gems with us, with, with me. We have this kind of belief that, you know, my granddad raised soldiers as well as Queens in our family. So I would say that my work ethic comes from my family, my aunt, who's, you know, a banker. She just said, Sam, the sky's the limit. Go do what you need to do. If you need to travel, travel. Like I've just, always been surrounded by strong-minded figures. My aunt, who's a successful um, dressmaker and designer, I've seen her work as well. Again, the work ethic has always been there. But yes, just knowing that I would have to work twice as hard, I think that's just the norm. It's Mm. not a case of, well, I'm going to show everybody. It's just, okay, this is what I've got to do. It's, I I mean, the, the character trait I have anyway that I like to prove people wrong that's just me Mm. that's like okay oh you really believe that I can't do this watch I'll I'll, I'll prepare a seat for you (laughs) just I'll I'll get you popcorn and have a watch seriously I'll watch you I'll I'll watch you you can watch me succeed that's just me in my and my characteristic anyway yeah so again I asked you the question for kind of deliberate reason because a lot of what you say resonates with me because of my own personal background and and circumstances it is just really interesting that there seems to be this correlation between people who uh, are presented with an adversity or a challenge that just seem to just do that bit better than people who don't have challenges to face in life, whatever they may be. And well, I'm not advocating. We've got, yeah. we've got we've got something about us. We've got we've got vision. We've got a dream. Sometimes when you're given everything, if you're from a super super rich family and you're just given everything like, well, what, what are you fighting for what are you what do you what's your drive what makes you want to get up in the morning what do you want to do whereas I suppose with us it's I know what drives me I know what makes me happy I know how to get where I need to get to that's the skill that we've I don't know that we've just picked up along the way mm. but yeah let's uh change tact if we may uh for a second we don't want this to get too heavy uh, <laughs> for for those people who you know, are, are tuning into the podcast, maybe don't know who you are with great respect. I mean, they should do clearly if they, if they follow sport or, or clued up when it comes to, to journalism. Um, but outraged, let's, let's just talk a little bit about that. Would you mind just sharing what that is? And, uh, uh, you know, just for the uninitiated. 
So Outrage is the official film by UEFA and they delve into the certain topics of discrimination within football. Um, I was asked to take parts last year and that was really, I don't know, it came at a really raw time for me because in the summer, obviously we had the, the Black Lives Matter movement we were right in the thick of it when it came to COVID. So all of us were stuck indoors. And when something like that happens, when those two things collide, you're just kind of sitting there thinking about all the experiences you've had um, with discrimination within football or within your career. And I think it's all a bit of a haze, but they asked me to do it. And I said, yeah, sure. And for me, it was kind of like therapy because what I've just spoken to you about I said exactly the same thing to Tom, who was interviewing me. He came over to, came over to Istanbul to interview me. So yeah, it's a, it's a, an amazing project. It's won two awards at the moment. But yeah, this is a, a conversation that's front and center of football at the moment. Mm. It's it's an important topic. Am I optimistic of change? I have to be. I really have to be optimistic that people are willing to listen and have uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. and these people that I come across in the world of football I mean they are some people are really set in their ways they could be of a certain age they could be I don't know in their 50s or something or 60 and they view oh we're not racist because you know our best player is black and you just think oh okay so Mm -hmm. there's so many layers to this and I've actually had to deconstruct what could be deemed as offensive or, you know, if they're just be, if someone's been discriminated against. And it's not until I've actually broken it down for them. They're like, oh, OK. And just think, wow, no one really told you this, really? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the um, a plus side of me being outside of the UK and the fact that I get to travel to so many different countries, especially for my job, where they may not see a lot of black people or they may not, they'll never come across a black female who's a sports journalist. For mm. example, I went to Croatia to interview uh, Zlatko Dalic and I was in the, the presser because they were having an international week and I was in the press room just sitting there and I just felt all these eyes on me and they were just, it wasn't a, an uncomfortable kind of stare. It's more of a who are you? Why are you here? And we need to talk to you. Like, tell us what's the deal. So I did. Uh, there was a, another journalist there who actually wanted to interview me for the for a, a Croatian newspaper. And they did a, an article on me and my story and everything. So it's it's really interesting to get out there and start talking to people about discrimination, and what can be deemed offensive and why it's uh, deemed as offensive. It's mm. yeah, there's a lot of conversations happening at the moment and I'm happy that UEFA are kind of taking the lead on this but the film I've I've watched it twice it's very emotional and because it came out in December 2020 the interview was actually in the end of July beginning of August I kind of don't recognize the girl who's talking because the girl who was talking or the woman that was talking she was super emotional and she was super raw because everything just came back to her. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> everything came back to her. 
And that story that I told you about uh, my former boss, I actually called him um, just before the interview, um, before, before they came over to interview me. And I, I confronted him. I told him that what he said really haunted me and I've been carrying it with me for so many years. And he actually apologized. And we had a talk. We had probably about a 40-minute conversation about the industry is improving race relations improving but yeah he apologized he didn't realize what he was saying he didn't mean to hurt me because again this was a man that I respected as well and he was a great mentor to me so I I just had to tell him that one I'll be saying this story for UEFA and I thought he should hear it from me first. And I think you've just, you've just raised, Samantha, a really, really important point. I was going to move on to ask you that very same question about, you know, is society doing enough? I mean, I'm, I've got a few years on you. So I remember <laughs> way back to the, to the 70s and 80s when, you know, racism, prejudice yeah. uh, and all those other issues were rife. And I look back now with, with shame, really, at where we were as a society. Clearly, we've come a long way. Clearly, there's still a long way to go. I think a lot of people now have this view that I don't even open my mouth for fear of, you know, insulting somebody or or, or causing offence when when I think there is no underlying desire to cause offence. People just now don't know what to say because we almost feel like we've gone the other way. But um, to your boss's question or to the conversation you have with him, how far do you think we've come? And, you know, clearly there's a lot more to do, of course. But, you know, do you feel that we've made progress? You know, it's, As a society, yeah, social it's, media, it's a, does it help? Does it not help? It's a difficult question because, again, we're right in the thick of it as we speak. It's only been a year since the Black Lives Matter movement. And I said a year ago, let's see where we are in a year's time to see if companies really care about diversity or, you know, championing diversity. Mm. I think, again, I'm going to remain positive and it will get better. It has to, I have to remain positive. I really do. At some point I'm going to bring a child into this world and I want to remain positive for my future children. I really do. But when you see what's going on with social media you do think society has regressed somewhat. And that's the problem with social media. You have a lot of keyboard warriors that just want to say what they want to say or threaten people, or it's it's not even just uh, discrimination, it's threatening people, it, it's all yeah. violent, it's really toxic, and no one's been held accountable. So it's gotten a lot worse because of that. Like I said before, what I feel positive about is having conversations like this. Everything is about context as well. So um, what example could I use? Okay, so I was talking to, again, someone in the footballing industry and we were talking about the whole Suarez incident. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Um, Liverpool, Manchester United and when he called um, Patrice Patrice Evra. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to repeat it, but... Yeah. So apparently that word, not apparently, that word, that N-word in South America is used as, um, with no malice, it's just being used freely. And, okay, you... It doesn't sit right with me, but if that's what they say in South America, Mm. then I just have to believe that they mean it in no malice. And Edison Edison Cavani got into trouble for exactly exactly, the same thing recently. Exactly. I think that was a bit more like, okay, that's 
Mm. Whatever you say to your friends privately, say to your friends privately, yeah, yeah, whatever. But yeah. just anyway. But yeah, um, I had to describe to this this person in football that what he said, it was it was racist and it was offensive because if you're saying, hey, my and use the word that N-word, mm. and you're saying it in a jovial way, and you're both South American or whatever, the context isn't um, it's not malicious. However, when you are on a pitch and tensions are rising and you are pinching someone's skin and saying that constantly, that's not good. Mm. Like it's all about context. And I, yeah. I think people miss that. It's yeah, it's about it's about intention, yeah. basically. And just not, for me, it's just really simple. Just don't, just don't say it. Mm. Just don't. It's 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 really triggering. Mm. Um, another example when uh, Istanbul Bashoksha here and PSG walked off the pitch last year. I understand that. I personally understand that. I think everybody can understand that. However, when you say something like that in a heated environment, and the players might not even know that it meant the color black yeah. in Romania. It's all yeah. about context. So you're hearing the N-word. It doesn't matter what, what, what you mean it as. If there's a bit of an argument, you're hearing the N-word, it's going to trigger. Mm. And then that's when everything starts to get really, really heated up. I think, you've made, I think you've made a really good point there, Samantha, because um, it is absolutely, as you say, about context. Because, And this is, I think, the problem that society have, that they, you know, it's, it's, it's not one or the other. And um, if you apply that context, then I think you arrive at the right kind of conclusions as to whether something is fundamentally right or, or fundamentally wrong. Um, I, I would love to go on talking to you for ages and ages and <laughs> ages, but in the blink of an eye, uh, half an hour has gone by. Oh my God, um, no. How do, how do, well, I was going to say, this feels like we kind of need to have a part two conversation. And uh Soon. It feels like we need to have a part two to this conversation. And if so, I'll get on a plane and I'll uh, and I'll fly over to Istanbul and we can conduct part two of the, the podcast over in Istanbul. Give yeah. me a good excuse to see a really beautiful city again. <laughs> how do how do people find out about you? I mean, bless you. You are the only <laughs> podcast guest who has connected with me on social media before the podcast. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm that I'm that person. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go on that person's podcast, or I'm going to talk to them. Right, boom, follow. There you go. So I know more about you. That's it. Uh, <laughs> I'm a journalist. That's what and, I, that, that's what I do. That's what I do. Come on. Yeah, just don't unfollow me now. I've followed you because um, <laughs> that's what loads of people do. Oh um, no, no, no. How do we find out more about you, Samantha? For those people who are well, you know going to look you up and you know website, yeah. social media presence, and all that stuff. Because uh, lots of people will as a result of this conversation, which has been really enlightening, I have to say. And, you know, I know it's I know it's a tricky topic. Mm. Uh, the, the, the journey that you've been on, the ups and the downs and your success is amazing. But, you know, the part B to the to the podcast, I kind of welcome conversations like this because they are tricky. And I, I think a lot of people skirt around them. And I'm really glad and grateful to you for being courageous enough to just, you know, confront yeah. it and deal with it and you know you're well qualified to to speak about it because you know these are these are issues you face all the time um and i think we need to be educated as a society so the more people like you we can hear from the better as far as i'm concerned um so how do we find out more about you if we want to stalk you look you up <laughs> okay if you want to stalk me i live <laughs> on instagram so that's at miss underscore sam johnson um i also live on linkedin as well 
uh, just Samantha Johnson. And I, if you want to watch the UEFA documentary, that's on UEFA.com. And I'm also the voice of Trailblazers on Eurosport, and you can watch that on the YouTube channel, Eurosport's YouTube channel and Eurosport.com. I think you've just attracted a load more fans <laughs> as a result of this podcast today. Final question. Um, uh-huh. We do ask this all, to all our guests. The rest of it is completely made up, as you've as you've discovered today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been practicing for two and a half years at being a bit a, a good podcast interviewer. That's not the right word, but a, a good podcast host, and I've still not perfected it. But uh, notwithstanding all of my inadequacies as a podcast host, the final question that we ask all our guests, Samantha, is a very simple one. Given all of life's ups and downs, the, the great things that have happened, the, the, the bumps along the way, if um, a younger version of yourself, maybe that child that you're to have in the future, comes up to you one day and says, Mum, I have admired you and all you've achieved in life for years and years and years, but now I'm kind of furrowing my own, um, paving my own way through life, creating my own path. What one bit of advice could you give me above all the other bits of advice that you've got? So if you were to narrow it all down, it could only be one bit of advice. What would that mantra that I could live by be? Oh, um, okay. So I've narrowed it down to two. (laughs) Can I have two? (laughs) You can have two. Okay. So the first one is remember to be kind to yourself. You know, there's no point putting pressure on yourself, being mean to yourself. There's no way you'd ever talk to a family member or your best friend in such a a mean way. So don't do it to yourself. You know, this mental health is everything. Seriously, Mm. with all of us being locked in right now, we have to do so much to make sure that we are, that we're keeping sane. It's Mm. just remember, you've, you've only got one body. So just treat her or treat him with the utmost respect that it deserves. Uh, The second um, advice that I would give is very applicable to my experiences moving to Istanbul. And it's remember to go all in with the experience. You know, don't go 50-50. Just give yourself to the process because once you do, that's when you start to live and you'll, you'll reap the benefits from it. Amazing. Great advice. Thank you so much for today. It's been absolutely great. I did say at the the top of the podcast during my introduction that you were the rather lovely Samantha Johnson and you, you know, everything I've ever heard from anyone, Leon and and all the other people that know you all say the same thing about you. And that's no coincidence. Uh, And when I use the word lovely, I don't say that in a, in a disrespectful way. You genuinely are a very, very nice human being uh, with lots of great things to say and some lessons for us all to learn from and really do appreciate you being so, so authentic and, uh, and, and such a, a beautiful, kind person, because in, in a very, very cutthroat world, they are hard to come by and uh, just carry on being as, as bright and shiny and sparkly as you are, because I have to say your former <laughs> boss was very wrong about you, Samantha. So oh, uh, he knows it. He knows it. <laughs> he, does, he clearly does know it. I'm going to send him a copy of the podcast, if nothing else. Um, so, you. Samantha Johnson, thank you once again for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you for having me, Sandro.